And don't forget they have Fernando Te- Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> He's a cheater. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the originator of the phrase, smell you later, my brother Mike. You know, the Fresh Prince, if you want to call him that. All right? Fresh my ass. <laughs> he, may, he may have committed a crime when he smacked Chris Rock across the fake, but he also stole from me. Okay, so let's be honest here. Okay. Yes, it was uh, truly the, the 90s greatest crime was was when the Fresh Prince stole that from you. Exactly. And I want, uh, I want reparations. I want some, uh, what do we call it? Uh, I want something on the back end. Give me some of the back end. Royalties? You want some royalties, royalties That's for what that? it's called. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> You want Fresh you know you Prince royalties? I want Fresh Prince royalties and Jazzy Jeff. I want an apology from him too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if that ever makes it your way. On this week's episode, we'll break down a subpar, subpar maybe isn't strong enough, or a pretty bad week from the boys in blue. We'll look ahead to the 2023 season because that's maybe something that's a little more hopeful uh, to look at. Uh, maybe, who knows? We'll, we'll see when we get there. Uh, and then a preview of this week's slate of games as always. But first we have a couple of new reviews on Apple podcasts. We want to share with you. We keep encouraging you s- send in reviews, do reviews, leave comments. You know, we can read these different things on here for you. So that's what we're going to do. We'll read the reviews that we got today. One of them isn't even a five-star review. Somebody was like, I'm going to treat these reviews seriously. Give us four stars and threw in a little criticism. We're still going to read that one just because what the hell, you know, we're honest people. Um, so make sure you're out there, you're rating, you're reviewing, you're leaving comments. It's huge for us. I do also want to start with like a little celebration annou- announcement. Our first episode ever has gone over 500 listens, 500 downloads and different views from YouTube and stuff. So that was a big goal for us this year, reach 500 listens from people. And thanks to you, the weekly weirdos talking to people, telling friends, spreading the news on social media. We actually made it this year. So we're super, super happy for that. Very stoked for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. Listeners, the weekly weirdos have done so much to help us on that front. And we're hoping to add more and more of you. So let's keep getting the word out to friends, family, you know, repost, reshare, all that sort of stuff. So more people want to hear our show. Even people you don't like, tell them too. Why not? Yeah. What the, what the hell? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe you just say, Hey, I hate you enough to share with this thing with you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But anyway, we're going to jump in with our reviews. We got a review from someone calling themselves, the writing of it's a cool name. That's all it says is the writing of that was a nice five star review. Cool. Mysterious nickname. Yeah. Very mysterious. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. The heading the for the review of. is best Royals podcast. I happen to agree with that. I, I gotta be honest with you. I happen to agree that we're the best <laughs> Royals podcast. There are good ones out there. There are one Royal way, which Mike was on this week is very good. Um, of course, Royals farm report is an amazing podcast. I think we're the best Royals podcast. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it says, start my week off with this show every Monday morning. Yeah, good. And there's an exclamation point. That's all it says. Very excited about it. And so thank you for bringing the, en- or the energy, the writing of. We really appreciate it. Here's the one I want to talk about. Uh, it's a little bit longer. It's a four-star review, but we're going to read it anyway. I've told people, other people, like, even if you leave us a funny one or something, well, we'll read it if it's not a five-star. I don't care. Like, uh, <laughs> this is a four-star, but, it, but it's got some constructive criticism. It says, I recently started listening and watching this podcast on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Both of the hosts are super knowledgeable and do a great job. That's Mike and I all. Thank you. It says, but my only critique is uh, of this podcast is that they interrupt each other and talk over each other. 
the latest episode when I, when they were talking uh, t- tier one and tier two pitchers, it was hard to listen because the, both of the hosts were talking over each other. That's the only critique that this person had. I do want to sort of talk about like why that critique exists, right? I do edit the show after every episode. So I actually have the opportunity to take all that stuff out. And I do take some of it out, but I intentionally leave some of the overtalk in, right? Because I want it to sound more conversational. Like Mike and I actually talk to each other, which is Mike interrupts me all the time. And then I tell him to shut up all the time. Okay. And so, <laughs> and it's harder for us because our voices sound so much alike. So it would be hard to, if we're talking over each other, it's going to be hard to differentiate which one's saying which, because we sound a lot alike. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I, I did go back and listen to last week's episode. There was probably a little too much over talk in that one, but I'll leave some of it in all the time just because I like the naturalness of somebody talking over another person. Plus anytime Mike interrupts me, I am then contractually obligated to interrupt him um, as revenge for that sort of thing. And so that, that's just something I got to keep doing, but we will try and cut back on that just a touch. That's real constructive criticism. Thank you so much. And that, that review was from, hold on, let me look at my phone here real quick. DSAT 97, it says. Uh, right DSAT, there. yes. DSAT 97. And it says one of the best Royals podcasts. I agree with that as well, except I think we're the absolute best, as the writing of said. But anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for those reviews, both of you. Really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, go out and review. Leave us a comment on YouTube or Podbean or wherever. Rate us five stars on, on Spotify and all the other things. And we will greatly, greatly appreciate it as we keep growing this community that I actually love interacting with. Let's get to some baseball stuff now, because that's that's what we're here. We're here for the baseball stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to start with roster news like we always do. It was a weird roster week because a lot of shuffling and things like that, but it was mostly minor uh, along the edges kind of stuff. Um, some shuffling due to pitching needs and the paternity list visit for Hunter Dozier. Congratulations to him and his wife. I think they had their third child. I believe it was their third, uh, yes. Last week. Good for them. Congratulations. Um so that ended up necessitating some moves roster-wise. One of the interesting ones was Max Castillo came up. Uh, remember Max Castillo acquired in the Blue Jays trade for Whit Merrifield. He came up and got a start uh, for the Royals. He looked good in that. Five innings pitch, pitched, gave up one run on three hits, one walk and three strikeouts. Mike, how do you feel about how Max Castillo looked in his outing? I was encouraged. He gives up the home run, I think, on the very first batter of the game uh, yeah. and then goes on to look really, really good after that. The changeup was what I think what we thought it was. It's really, really good. The fastball played better than I thought it would, and I didn't think he'd be able to go that long. He was extremely pitch efficient in this outing because, you know, he's still he's still, the hot, the most they'd had him throw at uh, Omaha was like three and two thirds innings so far this year. And he got roughed up pretty good in his short time in Omaha. And so I didn't think they'd let him go past four ends up pitching five and not really getting a high pitch count off of that off of that. And so it looked, it looked encouraging. I will say that his fastball played a lot better than I thought it would. And I love the pitch mix. Pitch mix was really good. I think you said something about that on Twitter, but the pitch mix was fantastic. Yeah. Castillo had a roughly even pitch mix. I think he was something like 38% fastballs, 34% changeups and 30% sliders, maybe something, something close to that. And uh, that math ain't adding up. I can tell you that right now. I, okay. No way that adds up to a hundred. <laughs> 36. I can't remember. I can't remember. They were all in the thirties. We'll just say that. Um, and so Castillo did a really good job mixing up pitches, you know, staying efficient. He, he threw 69 pitches, I think, because remember in Toronto, they were using him as a reliever. And so they're trying to build him back up for starting and things like that. That's great. Um, it was great to see him get a chance out there. That move was sort of necessitated because Brad Keller was moved to the bullpen this week. 
Brad, they decided, I guess they'd had enough of watching Brad Keller have one really good start and then two miserable starts. And so they're sort of trying to find their best place for him, moved into the bullpen. He's pitched there a couple times since being moved. Mike, do you think that the bullpen role suits Keller better? Do you think he might have a chance to have more success out there in the bullpen? I talked about this with Joel on one Royal way this week and initially, and mind you, this was before he had actually done any pitching from the bullpen. And so I said, my skepticism is that he doesn't have one pitch that can carry him like a lot of bullpen arms do. You say, okay, this is your best pitch and it's a high grade pitch. All of his pitches are either average or below average. And so the thing as a starter that helped him was he threw several of them, but he stopped doing that and none of them were really all that effective. So, but however, having seen him a couple times now, I can say this, even did a little research for you there, uh, host man. Okay. His fastball velocity on average is up two mile per hour in these relief starts. Okay. That's not nothing. Okay. He's up there hitting 97, 96, 97 plus pretty regularly with that four seamer. So if the four seamer takes a tick up and it can become the best pitch he throws, the slider I think is good enough. So I think he, there's a, if you squint, there's a glimmer of hope that he is a good bullpen piece in in a bullpen that desperately needs more talent. Okay. And if you look back at his numbers in 2018, when he had 21 games in relief, which I believe the year was the year he was selected in the roll five draft, he was very good that year in relief. And so there is a glimmer of hope, but I'm not, I'm not uh, extremely, I mean, it's a gamble for me. It's a, it's a lottery ticket kind of, it's a last chance for, for Brad Keller. I don't think it's going to, I'm not, if I had to put the chances of success, it definitely wouldn't be over 50%. Yeah, I, I, I'm on the same page as you. I, I think it's a good idea on the Royals part. It is probably his last chance with the Royals. I'm actually, I like Keller's arm talent and just think that if given an opportunity in another organization where they could really develop a pitch for him, which the Royals are not good at doing, he might be able to stick as a starter again even. But they're just not good at optimizing his pitch mix. They're not good at making any of his pitches better. And as a result, he's they're you know kind of bailing to the backup option they often end up bailing to, which is make him a reliever, right? Like, And that's fine. But as you said, Keller doesn't have a reliever profile really because he doesn't strike that many guys out. He's kind of a sinker baller who relies on ground balls more than swing and miss. And if you don't swing and miss in the, in the bullpen, that's a lot tougher. There aren't that many ground ball bullpen pitchers. Most of them are strikeout guys. And so at the very best, you're looking at a guy who's probably your sixth, seventh guy out of the bullpen. He's not going to be an elite bullpen arm. That's probably not going to happen unless that fastball velocity stays up there at like 98, 99 or something. And that slider maybe takes a step forward. Then maybe you're talking about an elite bullpen arm, but right now it looks like more of a back end bullpen guy, like a, you know, sixth inning bullpen guy. And then hopefully he can stick with that. But whatever they end up doing, they still only have one year of control left of, of, of Brad Keller. So they're going to have to think about what's his future with the team beyond like what his role is in on the pitching staff. Yeah, and this is where, uh, again, with Joel this week, we kind of got into the talk of, is he a non-tender candidate as a result of that? Because you only have one year of control left, because you're now moving him to the bullpen, if you don't see any success out of the bullpen this year, what's your incentive to keep him? The only real incentive is is that the rest of the people in your bullpen aren't very good either. (laughs) That's your only real incentive. 
So, and his arbitration number is going to be a lot higher than his value because he has the history starting. Exactly. So, yeah, we mentioned know, his that. arbitration mm-hmm. number will be higher than his value. Another roster move that was made this week, it's kind of exciting for fans, is the next, maybe the next Royals shortstop of the future. Michael Garcia came up for a few days, got a start, maybe one start, and then he was sent back down eventually. Garcia's an interesting dude. He looks like he might be adding some pop in AAA. He hit another home run today for his eighth of the season. If that guy can start hitting the ball harder, start adding some power to his game, that's really the determining factor for how far he'll go in Major League Baseball. If he can add some pop, he's an everyday starter. If he can't, maybe he just stays as a utility infielder. We'll see moving forward. The Royals also DFA'd, uh, that's designated for assignment, Joel Piomps, uh, who was then picked up by Oakland. Piomps had an ERA under three and a half as a reliever this year. Looked pretty good. His secondary number is not as good. We'll see if Oakland can uh, sort of use Piomps um, as they sort of bridge to their next competitive team. On the field this week, the Royals went one and six to bring their overall record to 49 and 74. It was roof. It was an ugly week from the Royals. They were swept by the twins. They lost three of four to the Rays. The young guys are starting to look a little bit more like young guys. They're starting to like struggle. They were hot there for a second. It was, you know, it was interesting and fun. The league adjusted to them. They need to do it to adjust back to the league. Now the offense especially was particularly bad. They were as a slash line, the offense hit 167 as a batting average, 226 as an on base, and 239 as a slugging this week. Ouch! That yeah. is Mike's like. If <laughs> you can't see it, if you're listening to this, Mike's mm. face just made a just a <laughs> horrific uh, grimace. Uh, that brings their OPS for the week. Their on base plus slugging to 465. That is so bad. That's bad for a person. It's even worse for a team. Um, there were some strong performances. Mike, tell us about the only hitter who looked even at all competent at the plate this week. Yeah. And it was kind of carryover from last week when he was the, uh, American league player of the week, Vinny Pasquantino. I think we're, we're stuck with, we're going to go with Pasquatch, right? I'm liking that better now. I've been using it for a week. There's so much stuff you can do with that. And I'm liking it more. I'm liking it a lot more than I did initially. Yeah. It's, I feel like there's a lot you can do with it. Uh, seven for 24 with one home run, four walks and three strikeouts. Anytime Vinny Pasquantino has more walks than he does strikeouts, you're figuring he's probably seeing the ball pretty well and is having a good week. So continue to be that stalwart in the middle of our lineup. Vinny Pasquantino, we need you. And we're, and we're going to talk about this later. It looks like they're going to face Dylan Cease, uh, on Monday. Pasquantino was pretty much single-handedly the only reason that they beat Dylan Cease last time. So please help us Vinny Pasquantino. We need you. You're our only hope. Uh, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to choose a hitter because literally there were no other hitters worth talking about. Um, Zach Granke though, had a really good week this week. He made two starts, went out there and gave him a competitive outing today. Was only able to pitch four innings today because he had a, got a hand cramp, but overall for the week, he was 10 innings pitched three earned runs, one walk, seven strikeouts, getting some strikeouts more so than maybe even earlier in the year, um, this, lately. And so just a classic sort of Granky performances gutting out five innings a time. If most of the time for, for the Royals, keeping them in ball games and allow giving them a chance to win. If only their offense would produce more runs, but you know, young offense, you got to kind of expect a roller coaster from them. They were, they were doing pretty well producing one runs there for a while. Now they're down a little bit and making it harder. Yeah. You know, what just struck me. This has nothing to do with that. Okay. This just struck me though about the Brad Keller thing. You know how you've always kind of argued in the past that at some point pitchers are going to be starting pitchers are going to be a thing where they would go like three or four innings and bullpens will need more guys that are longer. What if that becomes the role for Brad Keller where you're pairing him sometimes with a Chris Bubich who you really only want to go five anyway, or a John Heasley, you really only want to go through the lineup twice. 
and then Brad Keller's there to give you two instead of, you know, a guy giving you an inning, a guy giving you an inning, a guy giving you an inning. Just had that thought, just popped right into my head because I thought, man, if Zach Greinke had gone four and Brad Keller went two today, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, he did. And, and so that's kind of, could that be his role? You know, we used to call them long relievers, but I'm not talking about like a guy blew up and now you have to pitch for four innings. I'm talking about we we only plan on this guy pitching four or five innings. Well, this this is the Rays this is the Rays model. They they only mm-hmm. let guys go four or five innings. They don't they don't have guys out there going seven or eight. And the White so Sox only let Cease go five and six most of the time. Ex- exactly like, right. Like there's the modern version of pitching doesn't let starters go very deep in part because you know they don't want guys to be faced a third time through the order, and so they're like we're gonna or seen a third time through the order, so they're gonna go ahead and go to their bullpen. Maybe they have either a lot of bullpen depth where they can sort of rely on um, guys from AAA and things like that a lot more, or you know they have guys who can go multiple innings. Either way, I think that's a good idea. Are the Royals that forward thinking? Eh, I don't know. I'm all, there's always a question about whether or not they are that that way. Imagine this though: you have Barlow can go multiple innings. You have Keller can go multiple innings. Maybe you have Carlos Hernandez who can go multiple innings next year. You have three guys there who, if you can get through the fourth or fifth, we can throw them in for more than one inning and possibly be okay. Like that, that sounds like a decent plan to me. Sorry. Didn't mean to blow up and interrupt and sidetrack our Zach Greinke having a good week. Please people. Let's... Let me tell you how difficult it is having a guy like Mike as a, as a podcasting partner where he's just going to, let me, let me throw out a, a, a thing that has nothing to do with the thing we're talking about. That's, that's what I'm dealing with every week. You think editing this thing is hard. Next up, we'll be you, talking you the it... Palestinian conflict. If you guys want to, you think editing this podcast is easy. It is not. Okay. <laughs> it is not. Um, talk about weak performances. I know you want to bash on a guy I like a lot. So go for it. <laughs> That's exactly why I put him on here, actually. I uh, know. Your boy, Jose Quas, 1.2 innings pitched this week, three hits, one walk, one hit by pitch. And so he had just as many hit by pitches as he did strikeouts this week. Um, he is not good. And I've been telling you this for a while. Over the last month, his ERA is over six. Okay. It's 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 bad. Over the last 15 days, it's worse. The, the guy, I, great story. Don't get me wrong. Great story. Okay. Just don't think there's a lot of value there. Let me say, I think there is value there. And I think the reason that his numbers haven't looked great is that he is misused. Watch, look at his numbers when he comes in having not pitched the day before. They're much, he's much, much better when he has some rest. The problem is Matheny, for some reason, loves pitching him three days in a row. Like he will pitch back to back to back days. And it's clear that on that third day, Quas is like toasted. He, he his stuff is not sharp, and so he gets hit badly that one day. And if you're a reliever, you get hit badly one day, your numbers look like garbage because you know you're only pitching a few innings. And so I'm still willing to give Quas a chance. I think he should be used differently than he is. I think he should never pitch three days in a row. Uh, I think you know it's fine to let him go, you know, an inning and a batter, but don't be trying to get two or three innings out of him. I think he is actually a more of a righty specialist then he is a guy who's going to be like a multi-inning reliever for you or a bulk multiple-day reliever. They need to treat him differently as a reliever, and I think his numbers will look better. He needs some special circumstances for old Jose Quas. Well, there are some relievers like that. Like, they shouldn't be pitching Josh Stamont three days in a row either, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's I agree. You know, agree. some guys are just different, and you have to, you have to adjust to that. Um, I'm talking some guys who played 
not well this week. I'm talking about the entire offense except for Vinny Pasquantino. That's who I chose for my week performer this week. The entire <laughs> offense except for Vinny Pasquantino. Why did I do that? I gave you their offensive numbers earlier. 167 as a batting average this week. 465 as an OPS. They were terrible. How bad? Vinny Pasquantino was the only Royals hitter besides Ryan O'Hearn who only had three at-bats. He was the only Royals hitter with an OPS over 800 this week. All the rest of them were under 800 for the week. Most of them were under 700 for the week. That's really bad. They didn't score that many runs this week. They lost a lot of games. That's sort of how it's going to go. They are young guys. Nick Prado has fallen into a deep, deep slump. He's looking very bad. You know, Bobby Witt Jr. has been slumping quite a bit lately. They're just, they're not, Michael Massey has cooled off significantly. They're looking pretty bad as an offense. Because, you know, they're riding the roller coaster of being of being rookie and young players. And that fits with my theme for the whole week, actually. Young players are exciting, but they're volatile, right? Like, you're going to have good, exciting, fun weeks. You're going to have some really, really bad weeks. That's what this week was. I, you can't get discouraged because they look really bad this week. I'm actually encouraged a little bit because the pitching looked pretty good this week. But the lineup was just not very good, and that cost them to lose six games in one week. Yeah, and... Mine goes with that. My theme for the week is firmly put in our place because we had a tough stretch of series here. And those teams that are competitive and in races right now said, Royals, get your ass back to the basement (laughs) because this is this is where we belong. I guess Uh, the Rays stepped up and showed us why they're a great organization. The Minnesota Twins stepped up and said, hey, this is why we are one of the top teams in the division. So. Uh, we are not ready to compete at a at a consistent level yet, and I think that was very obvious this week. It does what it is told. <laughs> That's right. Get, uh, get back down get, there. Uh, get in the hole. Get in the hole. <laughs> it is really, really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you use. Please, please, please go do that. Pause it and go do that right now if you haven't. We have hundreds and hundreds of listeners, but only like 40 reviews. I know that people aren't doing reviews. Go out there and do the reviews for us. That'd be hugely, hugely helpful. I appreciate it. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps more people find the show and lets us know that we're doing something right and that you want us to produce more content. Plus, Mike gets all of his self-esteem from our subscriber numbers. He needs to feel better. He's about to start the new school year. His life's about to get harder here soon. So make him feel better with them subscriber numbers. Helps us out a ton. It's free. It costs you nothing to do. It only takes about half a second. So just smash that subscribe button real quick or go write a real quick review for us. Okay. We, uh, you should also follow us on all the social medias. We have Twitter, we have Facebook, we have Instagram. We post a ton of additional content on there. We're always sort of throwing out analysis. I do big, long Twitter threads and analyzing pitcher performances and bat and swings and stuff. So make sure you're following us on all those. You'll get a bunch of additional content from us and you'll get to hear from us and interact with us as much as you want. The Royals have another six weeks or so left of this 2022 season, which gives fans a chance to watch what the 2023 Royals will look like. They've graduated a bunch of prospects this year and this year and last year. And though they claimed that they saw themselves as competitors this year, this season, it was clear pretty early on that they weren't ready to play 500 baseball this year, let alone compete for anything significant. Um, but what about next season? That's a good question that I want to start talking about right now. What will they look like in 2023? What will they play like in 2023? Who's going to drive the bus for them and be the leaders of this 2023 team? Mike and I are going to try and answer some of these questions with a way too early roster projection and lineup projection for 2023. 
Uh, it will undoubtedly be wrong, but the purpose of this isn't 100% accuracy. It's to think through what pieces the Royals have in place right now and which ones they need to put in place before 2023. Our, our podcast has never been about 100% accuracy. Let's just say that <laughs> right out front. All right. What? We're all about the facts here at, at Royals Weekly. We're all about the facts. Royals Weekly. All about the facts. <laughs> Mike, kick us off with the starting rotation. Tell the people what we think the rotation will look like coming into opening day 2023, barring any injuries and things like that. First off, this is the most important part. This, is, this will determine yeah. how the season goes, people. Uh, hitting is great, but you win with pitching. So starting pitching especially. Uh, it looks for us in 2023 like Brady Singer is going to kick it off. Like he's going to be their headlining guy, day one starter type guy. We are then thinking that it will be a free agent signing like Mike Clevenger. And I like Mike Clevenger. I think you do too. He's had some fantastic years with the when they were the Indians, and he's done really well this year with the Padres coming off of kind of injury. He was injured a little bit early in the season this year, um, but he's looking really good this year again. Did you know, I think it was 2018, he threw over 200 innings and had over 200 strikeouts? No, I did not. And like a three ERA. I mean, he had a he had a... Not quite a Cy Young year in 2018, but it was damn close. Um, so, yeah, Mike Clevenger-like guy. There are a lot of different other guys uh, in that mix. Um, Chris Bassett, I know, is another one we've mentioned. Um, I just had a list up a couple minutes ago that had a bunch of them on there. But Eovaldi's mm-hmm. uh, another guy. Eovaldi. Um, but after that, that's one free agent signing there. We think Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, and Jonathan Heasley fill it out. Yeah. Okay. Now that could, I think you could probably throw in a Castillo for a Heasley or a Bubich, you know, kind of, it'll be a battle for between those three guys to fill out probably that last uh, spot. Okay. So Mark, let me know if that's what it is. If it's Singer, Clevenger, or someone like Clevenger, Lynch, Bubich, Heasley, what do you think? I think that's like, I'm going to give it a grade as like a B minus rotation. I think I would maybe want, an additional starter in free agency, but I just have a lot of skepticism that the Royals would go like in my mind, if you pay Mike Clevenger, the amount of money that Mike Clevenger is going to get, which isn't insignificant money, but isn't market breaking money. I think that if you go out and get a guy like him, you probably can add another piece in the same tier as him. You can probably add a Nathan Eovaldi, a Sonny Gray. So so some of those types of guys who are going to throw you like mid three to high three ERA, they're going to throw you probably a hundred and 80 innings, maybe 150 if you get a guy who's a little more injury prone or something like that. But I'd say that this rotation as it is has the potential to be a B minus rotation with the singer taking the big step forward that he's taken with Lynch taking the step forward. He's taken with Bubich taking the step forward. He's taken. And then you're right. It could be Heasley. It could be Castillo. The thing is they don't have a ton of internal options to fill out the rotation. It's basically Heasley or Castillo. That's basically, those are basically the options. Mm-hmm. And so like you want more than that. One, you're going to need more than these five starters anyway. And two, your other guys you're either not comfortable with, like Alec Marsh isn't ready. Obviously, Ace Alisi isn't ready. Boland's not ready. Boland's not really Hoffman's ready yet. Probably Hoffman's not ready. not ready. I would say Drew Parrish probably isn't ready either. And so not a ton of internal options that you feel really good about. Go out and buy the pitching if you need to. I will say Zerpa will probably be at least get a like a look, an extended look in spring training. I don't think he's ready yet either, to be honest. I, I'm a Zerpa fan. I, I like him a lot to be down the road, maybe in middle of next year or beginning of 24, to be a guy that you like at least let compete for a spot in your rotation. I gave it like a C plus 
I also think they need to sign another guy. And I'm going to throw out a real interesting one because he's already been here. Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto has been pretty good this year. He's old. So, you know, you probably don't have to put him on for a lot of years. Um, you know, he's an interesting guy, I think. You know, we've already had him here. People in Kansas City like him. Uh, he's And he's still having success. Um, but no, it's a C-plus rotation if that's what it is for me. One, it's not very deep, and you just mentioned that. Okay? And two, I don't feel like there's that guy that, you know, you feel like you can get some consistency out of Singer and Clevenger, and you kind of know that. But I don't think Lynch or Bubich or Heasley are guys you are completely sold on their, their level of consistency yet. Yeah. So that's a little bit scary to me. Yeah. There's still some steps to be taken from some of these guys. Like this year, they were counting on that rotation, taking a step forward, like all at the same time, they needed them to take a step forward in the off season and, and the pre- and spring training and be ready at the start of the year. They didn't take that step forward until mid season. And so their season was gone. Um, and so, you know, hopefully, to start next year, Lynch has taken that step forward and it stays. Bubich keeps going the way he's been going lately, though his last start was not great. And Heasley maybe takes a step forward. If they're still counting on development from the pitching staff to um, to have even a solid starting rotation next year, and they really need that to take place. Hopefully Singer's locked in. Hopefully they go out and sign a couple guys. But I just don't – I never count on the Royals going – like doing everything they should do. I count – they're a half a loaf team. They love taking half a loaf when a full loaf is what they need. And so, you know, we'll see if they end up actually going the distance and saying, we need two starters. Let's get out here and actually sign two starters. I'm doubtful that that'll actually be the case. I'll be thrilled if they just sign one because my expectations are so insanely low for them. Um, Tell us about the lineup, though. We're excited about the young guys. How do you think it will look coming into 2023 once we get, you know, all the sort of young guys who we think might be up, up? Yeah, a lot of young guys that we've seen already or who are working through their things right now at the major league level. MJ Melendez leading off and possibly playing right field. Okay. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. in the two hole playing third base. The Pasquatch, Vinny Pasquantino hitting third and DHing. Then Salvador Perez catching and hitting fourth. Prado is at first base hitting fifth. A healthy Olivares back and in left field hitting sixth. Michael A. Taylor in center hitting seventh. Michael Garcia at shortstop. That's kind of a. That's kind of a, I don't want to call that a hot take, but that's kind of a, hey, we think he'll he'll be uh, at the major league level securely next year. And then Lopez, uh, Nicky Lopez in the nine hole with Dozier, Isbell, and Sebastian Rivero on the bench, if you will. I would like to see Dozier in more of that Ryan O'Hearn role that he's in now. Isbell, I would like to see him in a platoon with Olivares, although you could definitely put Isbell in center or right as well. Um, you're now making some changes. You're saying Michael Massey at second base. Yes, my bad. Instead of Nicky Lopez. My bad. Let's let's redo that. I'm we're sorry, gonna, everybody. We're gonna... <laughs> Mark's a dum-dum and forgot to put a second baseman in. Sorry. Uh, let's go ahead and place Massey right here. Playing second okay. base. There we go. So sorry. the new lineup, last-minute changes into our lineup. Melendez in right field at batting first. Bobby Witt Jr. at third, batting second. Pasquatch hitting third at DH. Uh, Perez hit at catcher hitting fourth Massey at second base, Michael Massey at second base hitting fifth, Nick Prado at first base hitting sixth, Olivares in left hitting seventh, Taylor in center field hitting eighth and Michael Garcia at shortstop. I don't think they'll put Garcia in there over Lopez because I think they like Nicky Lopez so much and they just want to cuddle up with him at night. 
I can't. I can't in good conscience. I I would. (laughs) I would put Garcia there. I would put Garcia there. I got you. I understand why, but I don't think the Royals will. That leaves a bench of Lopez, Dozier, Isbell, and Sebastian Rivera. Maybe Sebastian Rivera. I don't know. I haven't counted the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. We're cutting Rivera because he's too many. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, uh, now that I've added we'll Michael Massey out. like I should. Sorry, guys. Math is not my strong point, nor especially counting. That's where I really struggled in school. Um, and so I'm putting Garcia there for this reason. I cannot in good conscience put Lopez there. I can't do it, right? And here's the thing. If Garcia hits well in AAA for the next six weeks, which I think he's going to, and I think he's done fairly well at the plate in his time in the major leagues, I don't know why you don't give him the shot. Maybe even maybe it's a couple weeks you give him at AAA and to start the season, and then you go with him. But we know Lopez isn't the answer. We know that that's not what the Royals ultimately want to do. We could have also put Alberto Mondesi in this. That's what I was going to say. (laughs) I thought about uh, that for a second and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not messing around with Alberto Mondesi again. I just can't do it. Like, because I don't think, I think there's a decent chance they non-tender him for one. And I also think that I'm not counting on him to be in the lineup. I can't do it. Right. Like, because I've been burned too many times in the past. And so no, in my lineup, we're going with Garcia. We're going with Lopez and Dozier and Isbell on the bench. My big question when I started constructing this lineup was, what do we do with Taylor? What do we do with center field? Do we sort of say like, because in my ideal version of the future, Michael A. Taylor gets traded this offseason and we either roll with Drew Waters or Kyle Isbell in center field. And then, you know, we'll see what happens from there. Mike, what do you think about Taylor center field? What's going to happen this offseason? This is another thing where it's what would I do versus what would the Royals do? I don't think the Royals trade him. I think they keep Michael A. Taylor and go, we're going to win this year. Michael A. Taylor gives us the best chance to do that. Is that true? I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I think that's how the Royals are thinking. I would probably trade him for at least a, a, a good bullpen, a solid bullpen arm because your bullpen is trash. Okay. It's bad. It lacks arm talent. It lacks depth. It lacks a top-end guy. It's a bad bullpen, okay? And there's not a lot to save you in the minors either. So I would probably trade him for a bullpen arm, and I'd say, hey, we have Drew Waters. We have Kyle Isbell. If we don't think Waters is ready, we just put Isbell in center because we at least know that he's past the AAA stage, although we're not entirely sure he's a consistent major league hitter. We know he can play center, and then he's holding a spot until Drew Waters is ready. But I would trade him, but I don't think the Royals will. I don't think so either. I give this lineup a B minus overall, just like I did the rotation. There's just a lot. Anytime you're counting on a lineup that needs a lot of guys to take a step forward, some of those guys will, and some of them won't. And so you can't be like, oh, this is an A lineup because we don't know what Nick Prado is going to be. We don't know what Michael Massey is going to be. Ultimately, we don't know, you know, what a lot of the uh, Mikel Garcia, we don't know what he's going to be. Even Melendez. We're like, okay, he's shown some stuff, but you know, it's not, hasn't been great all the time. It's all very like wishy washy with this lineup. I think it's the lineup you got to roll with because these are all the guys you're counting on, but it's an unknown. There's a lot that's unknown and uncertain about this lineup moving forward. So I give it a B minus. Could it be as good as an A minus? Yeah, it could. If they all take the step forward that they need to take, Maybe it's an A minus. Could it be as bad as a C C? Yeah, it could be. It could be as bad as a C. I gave it a B because I, I do think there is a lot of potential in there, but us doing that is us doing exactly what we did at the beginning of this year. 
everybody was like, oh, man, this Royals lineup's going to score a lot of runs. And I'm looking at it going, well, that's if you think Mondesi's going to be healthy and productive. If you think Bobby Witt Jr. is going to hit immediately. If you think Salvador Perez and Nicky Lopez are going to have the years they did last year. Like, you, you know, it was a lot of ifs. And I'm like, you guys are expecting all those things to go right? Like, that's not going to happen. And so, I, I, you know, not all these guys are going to take the step forward that we want them to. It's just not going to happen. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm going with a B because I think at least a couple of them have to, right? I will say that I would rather count on the continued production or the continued progression of guys like Michael Massey and Nick Prado and MJ Melendez than I would count on things like Carlos Santana will, you know, revert back to what he was three years ago. Or, you know, Nicky Lopez will have another good year when it looks like it was a fluke that he had a good year in the first place. Like I would much rather rely on like the progression of guys who just got into the major leagues and had a lot of pedigree in the minor leagues or a lot of success track record in the minor leagues. I'd rather rely on that taking a step forward than things that seem very unlikely. Like, like guys repeating career years. <laughs> stuff like exactly. That. Stuff, yeah. stuff like that, which is very unlikely, you know? And so, you know, I got my fingers crossed and I think the lineup will ultimately produce you know, pretty well for this team, but it, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of variance in it. And so we need to take that into account. The bullpen, the thing that has kind of, in my mind, really underperformed this year has not even come close to meeting expectations for the Royals this year. Mike, how do you feel about the, or tell us what the bullpens might look like moving forward. And then tell me how you feel about it. Farting noise. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. Um, and we talked about this just a second ago. So we think the bullpen will look pretty much like this, and there will be obviously more than this, but Barlow, Stalmont, Coleman, Quas, Brad Keller, Mills, Wyatt Mills, uh, Taylor Clark, and a pickup or two of those guys. We didn't put Gabe Spire in there, but I'd like to think that he's probably on a list to be in that bullpen at some point. If he's, uh, who knows you know, where Gabe Spire if he's is. not in witness protection, <laughs> you don't know. He could be. Gabe Spire could currently be named Todd Watkins and he's running a hardware store in the greater, you know, Denver area. So we don't know. We don't know. We don't know where Gabe Spire is. Uh, but anyway, that looks like the bullpen. And, you know, I just gave my, my sort of critique, my criticisms of the bullpen. I don't think, I think they have a lot of questions. I don't think they have any any good area. You know, do we have some good guys in there? Yeah, Barlow's a good pitcher. Stalmont can be. Dylan Coleman has fantastic stuff when he's throwing strikes, and it looks like maybe he's starting to get his command under control. But it's a lot more questions than it is anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we don't know what that pickup will look like either. Will it look like Jake Brent's coming back? Will it look like Carlos Hernandez becoming a, a reliever permanently? Will it look like somebody that they sign or something like that? Will it look like Will Klein? Is Coar? Or is Coar going to come in? Yeah, going to become be, be a reliever for them. Uh, it's not clear. It could be somebody they signed. Could be a reclamation project. It isn't clear what that pickup's going to look like. But you got to count on them doing something to pick somebody up for the bullpen role. I just I think that's definitely going to happen. Don't know how they're going to do it. There's various ways they could. I think there are a lot of question marks with this bullpen too. Stamont is a big question mark for me. I, you just never know with him, and that's a problem. You you got to you got to know with a, with what you're going to get from a bullpen guy. Keller is obviously a pretty big unknown. He's only had two relief outings so far this year. Uh, Quas is a guy I don't know. I think he's misused, but maybe he's just not a permanent bullpen piece. Mills is another guy just like that. Clark's had a really good year, but, you know, there's lots of... Coleman is a guy I feel pretty good about at this point. I looked today, it showed, it showed on the broadcast today when he pitched. He has an ERA under three right now. 
And so you and I set the over under earlier in the year for him at three. And you were like, I don't think he's going to make it. It's really hard for a guy to throw under. He's under three right now for an ERA. And so the command has looked better lately. Hopefully that keeps, you know, progressing and he can look a lot like, you know, basically Stamont 2.0, except, you know, he throws a slider instead of a curveball and isn't hurt all the time. And so, you know, that's what I'd like to see from Coleman moving forward. I th- I gave I gave him a C as a grade because there's potential in there, but yes, still a lot of unknown, a lot of question marks in the bullpen moving into 2023. I gave him a D plus because if this is the bullpen you're rolling in with in 23, you really haven't changed much. Honestly, any pickup you get won't be a unless it's not going to be an elite guy. The Royals don't spend money on on elite bullpen arms, but almost anybody you get, unless they are able to unlock something other people haven't is not going to be earth shattering. So if this is the bullpen you roll in with next year, expect a bad bullpen, which I'm okay with because that's kind of the last thing that they need. You know, Mm -hmm. when they figured the other set, they need to be focusing this off season on starting rotation resources and things like that. Now, if you choose to trade Taylor, then maybe you go, okay, we're not going to get a bullpen arm or a starting a rotation arm that we don't already have. So let's go look for a higher end bullpen arm. I'm okay with that, but yeah, it's, it's, it needs to be taken care of later. Let's focus on starting rotation. And here's the thing. These things are connected. So if the starting rotation pitches better and is going deeper into games, the bullpen might play up a little bit as well. Cause you're pitching your better guys more often. And so like, You'll have not, not more often. They'll just, you'll have fewer innings where you're like, we have to pitch our sixth or seventh guy because our, because Keller's out in the second again, you know, like if you're going to have less of that and more of, you know, well, let's go to, you know, Coleman and then Clark and then Barlow for the sixth, seventh and eighth, you know, or something like that, you know? Uh, So this is a little bit connected to, to other things. Plus occasionally the Royals have had success just picking bullpen guys off the scrap heap and they turn into really solid bullpen pieces for them. They did it with Clark this year, right? Like, and so if they can they do, do it all that the time. again, Jake, Jake Brents was good last Jake year. Brents he was, was a guy. A, Ryan Madsen, you'll remember, was you know a reclamation mm-hmm. project. Even Rosenthal, so, even Rosenthal, who Rosenthal didn't pitch for that long for them. But yeah, yeah. And so yeah, my overall thoughts are sort on this sort of projected roster for 2023 is that you know we're counting on a lot of development, and it's weird because that's the same position we were in coming into this year. It didn't happen as quickly as we thought it would. They did take, I think they have taken a step forward, but we're counting on them taking another one going into 2023. We need that lineup to a bunch of guys in there to take a step forward. We need the rotation, a bunch of guys to take a step forward. That's always a dicey position to be in. Doesn't mean they can't do it. Just means, and and right now you're relying on the guys to do it, who I think you should be relying on to do it, but it just means there's a lot of variance in there. And so, you know, I think you're looking at a similar place we were last year where you're walking into 2023, hoping they can be 500, thinking they have the talent to do it, but not 100% sure. And it's not always just about who's on the roster. It's also about how they're deployed by the manager, how they're coached by the pitching coach and hitting coach and things like that. That's also going to play into whether or not these guys actually take the steps forward they should. So I'm hoping for some improvement on the coaching front as well. Yeah. So I'm going to say something about that real quick before I put in my overall thoughts. Remember, all of this is predicated on relying on a, a regime that has lost a lot more games than it has won. Yeah. And I think it's like 13 out of 16 seasons have had losing records. So, you know, <laughs> I would love to say, yeah, and I do think these are all the right guys, especially in the lineup. I think these are the right guys that you can take steps forward with in development. But 
don't count on all of it happening at once because it's not likely. My overall thoughts for this is that picking the picking up of the right free agent starters is going to be huge for the huge. next year's team. Yeah, huge. Do you get the right guys and do they stay healthy for the season? You know, if you get a Mike Clevenger, does he stay healthy? If you get a Sean Manaya or a Cueto or a Chris Bassett, any of these guys that are in that second tier, we, you and I both think they probably need two of them. Um, and so, yeah, do you get the right guys? Do they stay healthy? If they can do those things, I think next year's team could be a lot more competitive. That's a lot to ask, though. The Royals have a weird-looking homestand this week because they'll actually play three different teams in one week, which is pretty rare. Uh, they'll play a single game against the White Sox, just one, on Monday, a makeup game from a rainout in April, then a two-game series against the Diamondbacks, and then a day off before they get three games against the Padres. This is all at home. So if you want a chance to get out and see the Royals, this is a good chance to do so. Um, right now, the probables for that White Sox game are, says Daniel Lynch and Michael Kopech. However, the White Sox game on Sunday was postponed, so it will probably be Dylan Cease against Daniel Lynch on Monday. What a cool matchup that is. Uh, that's 20, Dylan Cease is a 26-year-old right-handed pitcher. He's the ace of their staff. He's got a 2.06 ERA and a 1.17 whip. Really great pitcher, Dylan Cease. We've seen him at least once so far this year. Great fastball slider combo from him. He actually throws the slider more than the fastball, despite the fact that he throws 97, 98 with it. And that's because hitters are only hitting a paltry 122 against his slider. Very tough to hit this guy. But the Royals did beat Cease last time that they faced him. Vinny Pasquantino helped us out big time there. So there's hope there, at least a little bit, maybe some tiny hope that they can beat him. He he's gonna be a Cy Young guy. Oh yeah, Cy Young candidate Dil- in the Dil- AL. He's just gonna be one of those Cy Young guys. Uh, and Kopech's not much of a better draw either. So either way, it's gonna be tough. Um, but let's talk about the Diamondbacks after that, uh, who we just traded uh, Rivera to. Um, the Arizona Diamondbacks should be a little bit easier. They're fifty-five and sixty-five, fourth in the NL West. Okay, that first game should be. I don't think they've announced this officially, but it should be Jonathan Heasley versus Zach. They have. They, they have haven't announced it officially. Mm-hmm. Okay. Earlier today when I saw it, it was they had just removed him from a start and I wasn't sure. Um, Zach Davies for the Diamondbacks. He's a 29-year-old right-handed pitcher. 3.99 ERA and a 1.22 whip. He's a soft tosser. Soft tosser from the right side. A sinker guy that tops out in the high 80s or low 90s with a changer, change up a cutter and a curveball as well. Uh, he doesn't like or he doesn't strike out many guys. And he doesn't walk that many guys. A lot of balls put in play. A lot of on the ground is what he's hoping for, and he throws that sinker quite a bit. The next guy's next day is a very interesting matchup. It's got Brady Singer versus Zach Gallen, and Zach Gallen is a 27-year-old righty out of uh, the University of North Carolina, 2.78 ERA and a WHIP under one, which is very good. If you don't know, this is the guy that uh, Royals farm report Alex Duvall really wants the Royals to try and trade for this. I offseason. know. And Joel, mentioned I don't that. think it would ever happen. Ha, who do, I don't think it'll happen. Okay. So in case you don't know, Zach Gallon has two or three years left of, of club control to get that. You have to give up big time prospect talent. I don't know anybody. The Royals Man. could give up outside of like the guys they just drafted. Maybe like you might well, be so able yeah. to give up Gavin cross and Wallace and one other guy. I don't know. It would take a lot. You to might be able to give up, you might be able to give up something like Nick Prado and Nick Lofton. And, you know, you'd have to give up something big because uh, Zach Gallon is going to demand a ton in return. I don't think that's ever going to happen. 
but that's, I'll just let the audience know this is something that some Royals commentators have remarked on wanting this guy and trade this offseason. And don't get me wrong, I'd love to have him. <laughs> I'd love to have Zach Gallon. I've seen him, uh, kind of some highlights of him, and it looks unbelievable. Uh, he's got a fastball that averages 94, a great curveball, changeup, cutter, throws about 48% fastballs, and teams only hit 186 against his fastball. This guy can really throw it from the right side. But he's going against Brady Singer, so that's why this should be a great matchup. Singer has been obviously phenomenal lately, so uh, that'll be a really exciting. Make sure you're, make sure you're watching that one on. Is that Wednesday then? Uh, I have no idea. Monday, yes, so that, it should Tuesday. be Wednesday. It looks like yes. it's gonna be Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited for that one. Yeah, I'm actually trying to get tickets to that game. Um, so hopefully we can we can do that. But after that, the Padres they'll get a day off, and then the Padres come to town. The Padres are 67 and 56. That's second in the NL West. 18 games back, I think they were when I looked. 18 games back from the Dodgers, and yet they're 11 games over 500. Imagine that. They are, however, clinging to the final wild card spot in the National League. So really in the in the race to make it. We know that they have a general manager who is willing to make moves and spend money to make this team competitive. A.J. Preller has done a bunch of crazy stuff to bring good players to the San Diego Padres. That includes Manny Machado. Juan Soto is the most recent one. Juan Soto, remember the Juan Soto trade? The Padres give up just their whole farm <laughs> system to get him. Blake Snell from the Rays previously, you Darvish. I think that was a free agency move, but we, I don't know. I can't remember. And then they traded for Sean Mania earlier this year as well. So what that's not doing is translating to a ton of offensive success. They're only 16th in major league baseball in weighted runs created plus this year at 100, meaning they're exactly league average in weighted runs created plus as an offense. However, they are 10th in team ERA. So they can pitch a little bit with guys like Darvish and Snell and Manaya and their young, exciting pitching prospect, McKenzie Gore, is, is also having. He's he's having some adjustment, but, you know, he's he's looks really good as a pitcher. So it'll be interesting to see us play uh, the San Diego Padres. Uh, we don't get to see them very often as a team, and so it could be fun to go out and check them out this week at the K. And don't forget they have Fernando Tet... Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> He's a cheater. That was, I didn't yeah. even think it was low hanging fruit, but I didn't even think of a Tatis. <laughs> that's right, baby. I was, I had it in that's the whole That's the our whole bumper time. Right that's our, that's, that's, leading, um, that's yeah, that'll lead that's this episode off. Say. That's our bumper. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Don't know if anybody cares about this segment. Maybe they're just like, just talk about baseball morons. I know a couple people who are like, we only listen to that segment. So <laughs> Mike and I's partner, his wife and my partner, they only listen to this portion. We basically just do it for them at this point. Um, but Mike, tell us what's going on outside the world of baseball for you. There's a lot of stuff going on right now for me. But um, one thing that I was talking actually to my wife about the other day that I think still blows my mind is the implications of climate change. Like, And I know it's like a super heavy topic and people will die and all of these things from the effects of climate change. But there was like an, there was a study that was put out a while ago and the newspapers kind of caught on to it and published some stories. And I can't remember if this is in the New York times or the Washington post, but they basically put out a map and an article on this study that was done that would show the number of days in the United States over a hundred degrees, yeah, over a hundred degrees. And they had this map that showed and like, it was like how many, like how many, areas will have over 90 days over a hundred degrees. And the, like currently it's just like the very Southern part of California and Texas and Florida. Then they showed in like 2035, which is not that far away. 
And it was the whole Southern half of the United States, including the area that we're in right now. And I just started thinking like, if that actually happens and it becomes that much more hot, it changes so much. Like the, the amount of things it changes, like baseball, it changes baseball. It changes youth sports. It changes, you know, uh, how many tires go out on the road. It changes so much crap that we're not even thinking of. And that is yes, probably tangential and not as important as the crop failure that will be happening in a lot of countries and places, and including all here in, in by this the country. Way. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, but it just, it, it, I started thinking about them and one would pop into my mind. I'm like, Oh man, that's going to be different than another one. Like for, for example, you and me, like we like to play golf. That might be hard, a lot harder to do when it's scorching, boiling lava hot and maintaining golf courses becomes harder and maintaining everything becomes harder. It's, it's just, it, it just really like, there's so many different things and I, I can't wrap my mind around the whole thing that it's like wild to me. Yeah. <laughs> so the effects of climate change are huge. They are so huge that this guy who's not all that intelligent can't wrap his little brain around. Yeah. Uh, That's been blowing my mind recently. Yeah. I might as well like uh, hype the, the passage of a, uh, the, um, what did they, what did they name it? I forget they named, they named it the, um, the inflation, inflation reduction act, act, which has huge climate measures in it. And so the, we got some good news on the climate front last week. And so at least, at least there was that. Um, and so hopefully we can stave off some of the worst effects of climate change uh, moving forward. But yeah, it's going to change a lot of things. Uh, I've looked a lot into it because it's a, Topic I find quite interesting and anxiety producing. And so uh, why not look into it a bunch? <laughs> but uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg, really. And so if you're interested, go go read on some of the stuff that that is going to happen. It's not just it's it's the big bad stuff like huge refugee crises due to drought and, and other things. But it's also the small things that are going to interrupt everybody's daily lives as well. And so and it's not some people I feel like because we live in the middle of America and sea level rising isn't really going to touch us much or anything like that. Um they think, well, you know, it's not going to impact me. It is definitely, definitely, definitely going to impact your life in a very direct way. And so uh, think about that. I'm going to talk about something else that can impact your life in a very direct way. I saw a stat today and then I was like, I, that blows my mind. And I got to talk about this thing, right? Like, um, so I saw a stat today that said that this summer, 25% of flights were delayed. One fourth of all flights in this country were delayed this summer. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Three percent of all flights were canceled. <laughs> were just completely canceled, which is nuts to me. Imagine a business model where you could just say, like, "Hey, that thing we're going to give you, we're not going to give it to you a fourth of the time," you know? Because <laughs> I count I count delays as like you not giving me what I paid for, right? And so I paid there to leave a certain time and get there on a certain time, and you can't give that to me a fourth of the time. Insane. So I decided I was I was like, oh, that's just a stat, but it came along with this. Um, thing that the Department of Transportation is going to do about it, which I find at least somewhat comforting and interesting. So the U.S. Department of, of uh, Transportation is is putting creating a website related to helping people understand what they're entitled to when they have flight delays and flight cancellations. And so people don't realize that if they cancel your flight, they have to offer you your money back. Or they don't realize that if they delay your flight, they still offer you some sort of, you're entitled to some sort of compensation for that. And so what this site will do is it will make clear to people what sort of compensation you are, you are due as a result of being delayed or canceled on a flight. And so I find that very, at least somewhat reassuring that, you know, we're trying to get that information to people succinctly. This came along with like a sort of ultimatum 
made by the U.S. Department of Transportation that either airlines are going to get their stuff together and start like operating more efficiently, or the U.S. Department of Transportation is going to start changing some regulatory rules to ensure that they have to. And so hopefully that gets airlines off their butts and gets them to like th- their complaint is, oh, there aren't enough pilots. Well, then create incentive programs for pilots. It's not hard on a macro level to understand what will cause more people to become pilots, make their lives easier, make give them more money. It's not that hard. Right. And so or, you know, give them less flights. Just don't. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing that always kills me. They're like, oh, we're going to create all these flights. we got to have pilots for them, all that sort of stuff. How about this? I know it might hurt the profits that you make. Don't create as many flights. How about exactly? That? <laughs> you know, like, say we can only do good customer service up to this point. So that's all we're going to do. We're not yeah. going to go over that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the problem is if if all the airlines have terrible customer service, where are you going to go? That's their attitude is exactly. where are you going to go? Right. You can't. You I'll tell you what do? I'm going to do. I'll drive 15 hours before I fly somewhere. I'll do it. Right. Like, <laughs> because I am in control then and I don't have to deal. It's cheaper and I don't have to deal with all the garbage, you know, with the airlines and stuff. And so. I'll drive. That's what people will do. They'll just drive or they'll stop flying places. Um, anyway, that's some good news. The climate change was a bad news thing. Here's some good news. You'll have some repercussions when your flight gets delayed. <laughs> Hopefully we have some good news to talk about next week. A reminder, subscribe, rate, review us, like, and comment on YouTube. Follow all of us on socials. Then we'll give you some good news next week. Hopefully when the Royals go six and oh this week, what do you think, Mike? I think that is a certainty. A certainty. Mike's already guaranteed it. So next week, (laughs) we'll talk to you then. Until then, be good to each other. Go Royals. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.